Welcome to Greatness, where the world's leading thinkers share their ideas about how to create greatness. Great leaders, great teams, and great organizations. Why be good when you can be great? This is Gretchen Gagel, and I am really excited today to be here with Mickey Connolly. And Mickey, thank you so much for a little bit of role reversal today and interviewing me for the podcast. It is a pleasure. Uh, Gretchen, you've displayed so much curiosity that has allowed a lot of other people to be able to tell their stories. I'm glad to have a chance to inquire a bit about one of your stories, because you and I talked previously about this example you're going to share with all of us today. And I was really intrigued by it and thought maybe more people than me would like to hear you discuss it. So why don't you just tell us a little bit of background about what we're getting into today? Yeah. So this is an experience from early in my career that I have to say in in thinking about this discussion deeply, profoundly impacted me as a leader and my thinking about change Uh, my thinking about people and how to overcome uh, big challenges. So I want to conjure up in your mind, if you could imagine that you're 27 years old, you've been transferred in to take over the operations of a newly purchased company by your company. You are managing a $28 million operating budget Again, you're 27 years old. You have 800 union employees working for you and managers. And the organization is losing a million dollars a month, which back in 1989 was a lot of money. And and you're told you have 12 months to turn this around or we're shutting the entire company down. Well, I hope this went well, because otherwise... That's set up. I would hate to have it turn out badly. Yeah. And so you can imagine um, I'm walking in and I've never run this type of operation. I've I've run two different types of food facilities, but I've never run this specific type of operation. And so um, to say I had a little bit of imposter syndrome and just scared to death and, um, you know, nervous and what do I do would be a, a complete understatement. There was one thing that I knew deeply when I walked in the door the very first day. And what I knew is that I didn't have the answers. Hmm. That's the one thing that I clearly did know, that I did not have the answers of how we were going to stop the hemorrhaging and um, become profitable again. What I did know that we had 800 people that probably did have the answers. So, yes, that was the that was the background of the story. Uh, was the challenge that you were taking on, were they specifically asking you to turn this to profitability? Was that what you had said yes to? Yes, that was absolutely the purpose um, and the stated mission. Within the time frame of 12 months, it was made very clear to all of us. Five of us were transferred in, um, in supply chain and HR and engineering and, and myself over operations. So this wasn't merely make this better than when we bought it. This was fix it so it's profitable within 12 months. Yeah. And the interesting part, Mickey, is that um, I went into investigation mode about what, what are the problems? I mean, what, what 
and just asking questions. Um, I think this is where I first learned how important it is to not to, to talk at people, but to ask questions and what are our problems? We had safety problems. We could not go three days without a lost time accident. The plant I had just left had gone more than a year without a lost time accident. We were throwing away roughly, if I can remember, this was a long time ago, 12% of everything we made was going mm-hmm. in the trash because there was a, a quality problem. Um, we were um, staffing by gender every day, which was illegal at the time. And um, so there were just, there was a multitude of problems in this organization. And how did you approach those? So it sounds like the first thing is you got your arms around what the actual problems were that people were aware of and were, could in any way be related to the 12-month challenge. Uh, what did you do? How did you approach this? Yeah. So as I, you know, continued to reflect on, I don't have the answers. I don't have the answers, but I I feel strongly that the 800 people working in this plant have the answers at the time. And this is the late eighties. So I'm dating myself here. TQM, Deming, um, self-directed work teams was a big, uh, kind of a theoretical thought process in business and management. And um, so going on this listening tour, asking lots of questions, and then diving more deeply into the whys, the whys underneath, why can't we go three days without a lost time accident, but then building a community. And we use that word a lot here at Conversant, but really building a community of 800 people that clearly understood our mission. That was that was difficult at times because the union actually told the people that we were lying about the the lack of profitability, and we were just all doing this to, you know, somehow I don't know. We were doing it for some underhanded reason, but to build this community of people that understood that we were going to shift from a mentality that they were checking their brain at the door which is how this operation had been run, changing the supervisors and the managers into um, people that truly cared about this community, cared about the contribution that each person within this community could make in fixing these problems. Mm. This, this took, um, it took a lot of education, especially at the management, the middle manager and supervisory level to understand the type of culture we were trying to build that that valued community and valued each person's contribution on the team. Well, that seems like quite a shift from park your brain at the door and follow instructions to building a community of intelligent, caring contributors. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything you can share about how you made that shift? How did you actually implement that cultural transformation? It's interesting. I read a great book at the time called Teaching the Elephant to Dance. I think our CEO at the time recommended it. And I, I years and years and years later found my handwritten notes tucked into the book of me brainstorming about how to do this. And the first part was to enlist the, the leadership. They had to think differently. And as we created self-directed work teams, I, um, I will say that not every person com- successfully completed that journey. For some people, it was just too much of a mind shift to go from I worked 30 years to gain power. Um, a lot of what we deal with and the challenges we face with our clients is, is people 
grabbing on, you know, power grabbing, right? Um, and so to say you're not going to be in complete power anymore, the power is going to go to the people. Not all people were, were capable of making that journey. And then trust was just such a huge issue, um, especially when the five of us were transferred in from this purchasing company into um, a, you know completely different area of the country. And uh, we might as well. I think I think back now fondly now that I think about this, I probably thought like a felt like a green Martian walking into this um, facility and was probably treated a little bit that way. And so building up trust. And how we did that, we would listen. We would listen to a group of people. We would tackle um, not only teaching the elephant to dance, but breaking the elephant down into pieces. So take the safety example, um, looking at where most of our injuries were occurring, sitting down with the people who did those jobs, listening to them, listening to what they had to say about why. They had never deeply been listened to. And then implementing their ideas and seeing results, that feedback loop. And then people getting really motivated and saying, wow, I do have an ability to influence. I can make a difference on this team. I would imagine in all of the problems that they were facing to actually experience themselves making a measurable difference really did have to build a different kind of community. It did. It created such a different energy and it didn't happen overnight. I think that was one of the lessons that I learned as a leader um, that it takes a lot of courage sometimes to stand up and say, we're going to fundamentally change the way we operate because it's not like you can flip a switch and the very next day, all the problems are fixed and everybody says, hooray. And um, that was fabulous. We had things that didn't work. Um, That's the other thing I learned is that um, giving people psychological safety is how we would talk about this today. I don't even think that was a term back then, but also giving people the freedom to try things that didn't work and saying, that's okay. Okay. What did we learn from that? What, what's the next thing that we're going to try? Um, so that people, um, weren't fearful to, to share what might've seemed like some crazy out of the box ideas and know that there weren't going to be um, negative repercussions for trying something that didn't work. Well, it sounds like that you were building an environment where if they tried and it didn't work perfectly, that what you were doing is saying, let's listen, learn, and move on. So it wasn't just try and fail. It was try, learn, and grow. Yeah. It's like our Align, Act, Adjust model, right? We, we were all aligned on what the goal was, become profitable. We developed collectively our actions and then we adjusted on the fly, you know, as we were doing things. So it really was a very gratifying experience to, you know, and I talked about people that didn't make the journey. One one big lesson for me that I learned and I, and I use this, um, I can't draw this on a podcast. So let's see if I can describe this in a way that makes sense. (laughs) I think about purpose and that alignment as the boat is leaving the dock and we know where the boat is going. And there's people that just jump in the boat. They're like, Oh my gosh, I've been waiting for somebody to run a plant like this. I love the concept of self-directed teams. I'm in. And then you have people that kind of have one foot in the boat and one foot on the dock. Mm, I'm not so sure this is going to work, but I think I'm in. And then you have people standing on the dock kind of looking to see how this is all going. And you have people standing on the beach 
and you know you're trying to get move people into the boat yes we're on board with this and what i learned is you're also going to have people that are standing on a mountain 50 miles away from this boat saying i'm never getting in that boat <laughs> and never and when i was a young egotistical manager I felt like if I focused enough energy on that person on the mountain that I could get them down off the mountain. And Mickey, what do you think I learned? Well, it sounds like you learned, like just like you said, that in enlisting the leadership to shift from position power to empowering others, that some of them didn't make the trip. Yeah. And, and what I learned was, as I started expending energy on the people standing on the mountain, which were few, it wasn't a lot of people standing on the mountain, it might have been one or two, that people started getting out of the boat. They started like, well, maybe we're not doing this. And so to just stay kind of determinedly focused on creating that alignment, creating those early wins, you know, John Cotter talks about that in his change model, getting the momentum going, getting people excited about this and really celebrating, you know, we talk a lot about celebrating um, and just building that enthusiasm and that energy and excitement um, it was a, it, as I said, it was, a, this was an experience that um, deeply shaped me. I was incredibly grateful to my mentor who um, I had the chance to see two years ago before he passed away. Hard for me to talk about, but for him to put a 27 year old woman and they'd never had a woman manager here, by the way, in charge of such a big operation and big responsibility, it was a big risk on his part. So I learned a lot about also not not looking at someone's age, but looking at their capability and what they're capable of doing. Mm. Well, when the 12 months came to pass, and you compare that to what you were charged with when the five of you got there, what happened? How did this turn out? Well, the good news, it was a good news story. We broke even at nine months. So we beat it by three months. Wow. Um, we started going weeks and months without lost time accidents. We um, greatly reduced the amount of product that we were throwing away. I mean, it was just, um, it was a very exciting, exhilarating time. And um, I take zero credit for anything other than knowing when I walked in the door <laughs> that I didn't have the answers. Um there's, there's a story I'd like to share that I think um, exemplifies one of the other critical things that I learned there, and that is about listening as a leader. So after running the operations of this organization for a year, I was moved over to run the distribution side of the business. Once again, never run a distribution center. I walked in with zero experience in this, in this area. In the very first week, a gentleman by the name of Art Sherado, I will never forget this person's name, he came up to me and he said, Gretchen, can we go for a ride in the warehouse? This was a 250,000 square foot warehouse. So I jumped in the golf cart with him and he started driving me around the warehouse and he started explaining everything that was wrong with how the warehouse was organized. And the fact that we had... Spanish label product next to English label product. And so it was very easy to make mistakes and um, select the wrong thing. 
we had, you know, slow moving things near the docks and fast moving things away from the docks and just on and on and on about all the problems. And so I said to Art, I said, great, these, these sound like great ideas. Let's go up to engineering and we'll get a plot of the warehouse and you can draw this out and then we'll present it to everybody that works in the warehouse back to community, right? And contribution and thinking. I'm sure other people will have um, additive ideas to this. And Art looked at me and he said, I've never been in the office. And I said, you've, you've been here 35 years. You've never been in the office ever. And he said, no, I've, I've never stepped foot in there. We weren't really allowed in there. I said, okay, here we go. So <laughs> off we went to engineering wow. and we got a plot of the warehouse and he drew it out beautifully. And we presented, we ran 24 hours a day. We presented it to all the shifts and they had input and they reorganized that entire warehouse without one hour of overtime. They bought into that. And I asked Art after you know, this, this whole thing, it occurred, I said, Art, did, you know, you've been here 35 years. Did you ever think to talk to anybody about this before? And he said, no, not at all. And I said, well, what made you talk to me about it? And he said, they said, you listen, Hmm. they said, you listen. So great person, great team of people. Well, I love your story for several reasons. One, about someone who steps into a situation where they obviously don't have the decades of experience and yet still can move confidently because they can connect with all the people who do. And I think that's a great lesson for young leaders that our youth does not in any way limit our ability to make a difference. Because like you said, you knew 800 people who probably knew lots of smart stuff. (laughs) So I, I love that. I also love that the things that you learned from it all seem associated to what you said about building a community of intelligent, caring contributors. I would imagine they enjoyed work a heck of a lot better. And, you know, today we talk a lot more about mental health safety issues at work than we did back then. I would bet that the mental and emotional welfare of those people went up because of the way that you led those projects. And then finally, I love the quiet buzz, the quiet reputation that gets built that has other people step forward and say, hey, I'd like a chance to make a difference too. Beautiful. It was an incredible experience. And and the other context for this is that in this area of the country, this was the only, the last operating plant. Every other plant had closed down there were no other employment opportunities for these people. So I felt a tremendous responsibility to them to um, keep this, this operation going. And, um, you know, back to the, the question point, when I stepped down as president of an organization, I turned to the next president of the organization, 20 years, my junior. And I said, it's not about having the answers. It's about knowing what the questions are and engaging people, your team, in answering them. So as I said, this this experience had a profound impact on my leadership, how I think about change, those people on the mountain. Um, That's a model that I I should write a book someday about the people on the mountain, (laughs) right, versus the people in the boat. But um, it really had a a huge impact. And Mickey, thank you so much for... uh, swapping seats with me today and allowing me to tell this story. 
a real delight. Thanks for the chance to be here as the interviewer. Interested in hearing more? Visit us at greatnessconsulting.com. Thank you.